All right, so today, here we go again. Get your game right. Time to get your head right. Start doing things that are going to help you in life as opposed to doing things that really don't make any sense. Today, I'm really, really extremely excited to have Alex Netty on the show. Alex uh, played baseball for Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame, and then went on to become a CrossFit athlete. So it's going to be interesting to pick his brain. Alex, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, it's definitely good to converse with you about this subject and uh, catch up with you since it's been a few years. Yeah, so our background, me and Alex played together on a summer team during college. Uh, I came from uh, a, a school in Kansas. He was playing at Notre Dame. It's always fun to get a whole bunch of different guys on a team in the college realm. But Alex, just kind of take us through, you know, obviously you were, you were a good athlete. Uh, you decide to play baseball. You get a scholarship at Notre Dame. Kind of take us through a little bit of that, a little bit of your background there. Yeah, so basically, you know, I played baseball since I was five years old and athletically growing up, I played other sports, football, uh, basketball as well, kind of the big three here in the, the U.S. And uh, I ended up focusing on baseball pretty primarily after my freshman year of high school and ended up actually just going to a couple of camps in college or at colleges with a few of my teammates. And Notre Dame was one of those camps I went to. And um, luckily, I got picked out by the coaches after we did some drills and uh, from there kind of the the recruitment process began and long story short I ended up you know getting uh, recruited to play at Notre Dame and and stuck it out there for four years so it was something where I was kind of reaching because I wasn't really a five-star recruit or an all-american in high school or anything like that and Notre Dame at the time was pretty highly ranked and so I was I was kind of stretching myself if I look back at it and I wanted to push myself and I thought and so I, I just kind of went for it, and, and it ended up being a good decision in the end. Yeah, no doubt. It's always good. You know, it's it, for most kids, they don't, if they do have enough ability to go to college, it's kind of like, where do I go? What should I be thinking about? Things like that, right? So for you, it was, you knew it was going to be a challenge. You knew it wasn't just going to be, hey, I show up at Notre Dame and I'm going to be the starting center fielder. It was, oh, yeah. It was going to take some time. It was going to take a lot of effort and getting better on your part to be able to get some playing time at a good university like that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I, you know, of course, baseball was a huge part of why I wanted to go there. I knew they had a good program. Also, the school was was pretty well-rounded as well. It's a strong academic university, so I felt like I'd get a good education there. Yeah, but going to the baseball standpoint, yeah, they, you know, were recruiting very highly rated prospects at all positions. And I knew there were at least two other outfielders coming in that I would be competing with, but I knew that there were going to be two openings, you know, from graduating or drafted players there. So I liked my odds if I was going to be there, you know, one of maybe three outfielders coming in to get two spots. So Mm -hmm. I, I I kind of, you know, put myself in that position and I knew it was going to be a fight and, you know, things didn't go as we would have liked them to You know, I didn't win the starting job that my freshman year. I didn't uh, get, it didn't have as great of a, you know, kind of a fall as I wanted to, Mm -hmm. but it was still something I, I don't regret any moment of it. Um, I ended up traveling with the team a little bit for my freshman year, and then I played some here and there. I was kind of a role player, and then I actually didn't even travel at the beginning of my sophomore year, and I was really – that was a, a big shock to the system because, you know, you want to be a part of the team, and it felt like I was just, you know, kind of one of the, the guys that's there for practice. But then when games started, I wasn't even traveling, and then by the end of that – with the back half of that sophomore year, I was uh, platooning against left-handers starting. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, throughout that whole process, I I never gave up. I continued to work. I would just be out in the batting cages at all hours of the night and and getting my swings in and working on my my time and or on my my game. And just when the opportunity presented itself, I just had to be ready. So by the time I got to the back half of the sophomore year, I was a a starter against left-handers. And then my last two years, I started pretty much every game um, in in the outfield. Awesome. yeah. Was there a, was there a point your sophomore year because you're not even traveling with the team that and then you you decided you know what I'm not going to give up on this I'm going to work harder I'm going to keep doing my thing keep trying to improve was there a break that you had in there did somebody get hurt or was it just somebody wasn't producing and then you kind of filled a role uh yeah yeah I mean life yeah deals deals you these hands and you got to be ready to play them you know, so to speak so there I believe was just a, maybe a performance you know, concern that the coaches had that maybe allowed me to get some at-bats against left-handers because one of our other outfielders was a left-hander and maybe wasn't swinging the bat as well against lefties. So it gave me a few openings, you know, in midweek games. You know, I got a few hits here and there. You know, more hits gives you more at-bats, and it kind of fed into that. And then I got a a really big break in terms of one of the other outfielders just uh, decided that it, it wasn't the place for him and ended up transferring. Um, and so that was something that, uh, honestly, when I was not traveling and just kind of really seemed like I was in the background of the the uh, rotation for the outfield, I, I, I had thoughts of transferring, but I never went through, you know, going too, too far into that. And so long story short, yeah, I stuck it out, got those chances, got some more advance, and then someone else uh, decided to transfer. And that's where the door really opened for me. And, and I didn't look back. Going back to your high school career, and this is uh, – you were a starter. Were you a starter every year of your high school career, or when did that – when were you a starter full-time on your high school team? Yeah, yeah. So I was a, a starter in kind of the opposite way that it worked out at Notre Dame. Yeah, I started pretty much from day one in in high school, and it was a, a totally different story there. I was one of the better players on the team, and mm-hmm. I had played with a lot of the guys on my team kind of growing up through Little League. So it was really a cool – experience to just continue to play along with those guys and knew a lot of my teammates already for years before we even got to high school so yeah it was a different experience there I you know I played the outfield I pitched I caught I played first base I did whatever you know the, the team needed so it was a, a situation where I was more of a, a prominent role on yeah. that team than, than when I got to Notre Dame and it's inevitable and everybody listening it's inevitable no matter how good you are at some point, you're going to hit a, a spot in your career in life where you're not going to be the guy. And you have to kind of earn a spot if you want to be the guy. And then there's going to be a time where they just say, you're either not good enough to play, you know, you're not going to go on and play pro ball or whatever it is. But to maximize that talent and that ability, you have to overcome some adversity like that. It's not like if you're the best player on, on your Little League team, it doesn't mean you're going to be the best player in your high school team. If you're the best player on your high school team, it doesn't mean you're going to be the best player right away on your college team. And it keeps going down the the road like that. The same way in life, if you start out a a career, you're not going to be the best at it right away. It's going to take some time. And when you get good and you start hitting different uh, plateaus and platforms, you're going to have to continue to get better. So that's I love that story, how, you know, you're the best kid in high school and then you got to go to college and, and work your butt off to be able to be a player there. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And and like I said, I you know I got recruited by a, a few other schools where I probably would have you know maybe started from day one. Mm-hmm. And I 
just kind of purposely put myself in that situation where I, I wanted to really, you know, see what I could get out of baseball. And I thought going to, you know, a bigger school like Notre Dame, and it wasn't that big of a, a jump for me. It was only an hour and a half from where I lived. So that was kind of also another plus, you know, mm-hmm. it was a, a great school and it was pretty close to home. So I, I wasn't making like a, a cross country, you know, trip out of it or anything like that, but it ended up being a really good opportunity. And, I wanted to, to push myself. I, I, I felt like I was one of the best players in the, you know, in the country. And I don't care. I don't need a, a publication or a, an All-American team on it to, you know, tell me that. I, I had the confidence in my abilities. And that's why I put myself there, even though I wasn't even, you know, listed on the recruiting you yeah. know, publication necessarily. So, yeah, uh, very good. And, and you got a good education while you're there. Something yeah, you can always exactly. fall back on. So then your transition uh, from from college ball, and you go into this obviously occupation career, but then you go into this CrossFit thing. This CrossFit, uh, it's it's massive training for those of the, the that you don't know. It's extremely intense, extremely competitive, and it really is one of those things where you're pushing your your mind and your body to the max on a daily basis. Right? It's uh, yeah. it's very challenging. If you look up Alex Netty, uh, go to his Instagram profile or anywhere this guy's beast like he looks like a uh, greek god right <laughs> so so you've, you've kind of taken that same attitude and then approached your life after baseball that way is that fair to say yeah yeah definitely is and, and my my journey with crossfit has been a, a very fun one and it started 10 years ago which is really odd for me to say out loud because yeah i can't believe it's it's been that long but um that's that's crazy how fast life moves once you uh, once you take a look back at it, but yeah, I actually found CrossFit by mistake, just kind of reading a magazine and just read a little bit about it. And there was a couple of websites that it referred to. And um, I was kind of always a gym rat after once I got to my maybe last year or two of high school and through college. So I was working out anyway, and this was just kind of a different way to approach my fitness and seeing what I could do. And so I found CrossFit and just kind of started doing it on my own. And then I found a CrossFit gym in Chicago where I was living at the time and joined up with that gym. And then the addiction kind of really springboarded from there. Yeah. I like how you call it an addiction. Is it, <laughs> is it one of those things that once you got into the process, what, what attracted you to CrossFit after, you know, you know, your playing career is done. You decide, okay, baseball's done. Uh, you find this CrossFit gig. What attracted you to CrossFit and made you really, uh, passionate about it and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this for now it's been 10 years, right? It, it's more than just a, a side hobby. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the biggest thing was for me is when I first tried it, I mean, the workouts were extremely difficult and that signaled to me like, okay, this is a challenge, you know, obviously having played competitive sports all the way from five years old up until that point, it was, you know, in my DNA to compete and, you know, have a lot of physical challenges in my life. So when I tried a few of these workouts that I read about or looked at online, I mean, I was just really getting pushed. And I, I thought this was pretty cool. Like I didn't know this type of pain yet satisfaction at the same time. It's kind of an odd combination that you get when you do these type, this type of training. So uh, when I, yeah, when I found that, you know, I, I can't just halfway do something. So once I, you know, found it as challenging as I did, I just decided, let's see how, how far we can take this. And once I, you know, joined the gym and found other people that were doing this, that helps it as well. And it all kind of just fed into, you know, me getting into it as in depth as I did. 
And at that point, which was like 2008, the, the, what we call the sport of fitness, you know, cross, CrossFit has many different layers to it. Um, but what we're talking about is I, I utilize it or mainly do it as a, as a sport at a, on a competitive level. Um, and what I, you know, found that there was a competitive circuit that had kind of just been starting to go the CrossFit games, which is kind of the, the highest international competition had just taken place in 2006, 2007, I think were the first years that it had taken place. And so I saw those guys as like, you know, superheroes, the people that were competing at the games. And so it was kind of something I kind of lightly thought about, you know, trying to compete in and eventually started to just kind of train so much that it became something that was closer and closer to maybe happening for me. And, and from there, that's how I kind of really started to get into my groove of training and training to make the games and just being the best that I could be and see how far that would take me in that sport. So you're training, you're doing all this training and you know, you're, you're starting to get closer to this goal of just competing, right? Trying to understand it, get your body in shape, get, get you where you need to be. When you, when you decided, when, when was the point where you're like, you know, I'm going to get into a competition because I think that's a big hurdle that that people looking to do something like that, you know, you start training, you start thinking about it. Most, most of the time it's like, Oh, I'm really into it for a little bit. And then I kind of waver before you actually go for it and just jump in and, and sign up for a competition or whatever it is. What was kind of that, that the moment where it went from, okay, I'm doing this as training. I know kind of where I want to go to, Holy crap. I'm in a competition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember this yeah, pretty distinctly um, that you asked that question. There, there was a competition that was going to be in Milwaukee, which is just a couple hour drive for us in Chicago. And there were several of us at the gym I was at that decided that we were going to go ahead and do it. It gave us something to, to train for. And it was going to take us a little bit out of our comfort zone because we didn't know who else was going to be there. And so it was kind of a fun thing. It was just, again, it was just a bunch of guys and girls getting together and, doing a couple of workouts and, and seeing what would happen. So that was my first competition and uh, ended up going there. And actually, I think I, t I took first place in that one just by chance as well. So um, again, you know, that success breeds a little bit more into the, into the confidence and then the confidence becomes what more that drives you and, you know, into your training and, and then saying, okay, well, we won this competition. Can we, can we win another one? Mm -hmm. What can we, can we get to the next one? So that, that first competition in Milwaukee, I, I remember it pretty distinctly. It was, it was very difficult. It was very painful, but again, you get the reward of, of winning it and also sharing that this kind of time with your friends at the gym as well. And, and so it was a, a really positive experience. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, when, whenever you have a goal in mind and an idea to see it come to fruition, I always tell people, you know, the way you worked at that and then to be able to go to that competition and, and get first place, that's, that's the difference between fulfillment, which is what you're feeling there and just being happy you know, the short-term happiness and then some fulfillment to say, you know, I got after this and, and we were all together and working as a, as a unit and pushing each other. And then you see a little bit of reward on the other side, you get some fulfillment. Now, with that said, like I always tell people with whatever you do, there's going to be some speed bumps and some tough times along the way. What was kind of one of those first obstacles when you're going on this new journey in CrossFit that, that you had to face? Well, I think the, cool part about CrossFit is that there are so many different things that you have to learn in order to be really good at it. And that is just a day-to-day -day challenge when you're first learning all these movements. I mean, obviously, like I said before, I worked out in high school at the end. And then obviously through college, we had a strength and conditioning 
program that we followed every, you know, all throughout the year for baseball. Um, yet with that being said, when I started CrossFit, there were still a ton of movements that I'd never done before. So physically, I didn't know how to execute them properly. And with that, you can possibly put yourself in bad positions and then lead to injury and things like that. So I was learning a whole s- score of, of movements and things that I'd never done before. So the adversity hits you right off the bat. I mean, I'd never been on a rowing machine. I'd never done certain high-level gymnastic movements that are pretty commonplace. And there's a lot of running involved and weightlifting movements that I'd never done before, like Olympic lifting and snatching and clean and jerking, all these things I'd never done before. So I had to kind of learn them by watching videos and then just doing a lot of bad reps, which turned into a lot of below average reps, which turned into a lot of average reps, which became above average reps, then which become good, became good reps and technique and all that. So it's just a lot of trial and error coming back to the, the grindstone every day and you know, changing your, your errors and getting better at things. So the adversity in CrossFit, even to this day, 10 years in is, is a daily, um, a daily friend or foe, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, just because I drive my truck to work every day and I'm on the highway, it doesn't mean that I'd be a good NASCAR driver. Right. Oh no. (laughs) Like, right. Just because you go to the gym doesn't mean that, Hey, I'm going to be great at CrossFit. And I think for, for most people, when they, when they see things like CrossFit or they see uh, some of these sports that aren't as common, you know, baseball, football, basketball, most people have played those and, and done those things. You look at it and you're like, well, that guy's just in really good shape or that girl's just in really good shape. But there's so much technique involved in these moves, especially as you're going to a high level and other people are really good at them. And it's kind of like once you get to a certain point, really what's separating people is like the difference between uh, AAA and the big leagues or, or the college and, and double a, right. There's, yep. it's not much difference. There's just some small, small little things. And, and one of them is mindset. So for me, obviously when it comes to a physical challenge, when you're exerting yourself to the max, but you still have to keep form involved and you have to, break it down and make sure that you're doing these movements right. What are some things like as far as the mindset goes when you're fatigued and you just feel awful to say, I need to do another rep and I got to try to keep my form. So I prevent injury. Are those things you think about, or is that a way you train? Yeah, most definitely. It's something you think about it. It is, I would probably say it's an acquired taste to put it that way. It's something where you have to be in that position so often that you are able to continue to do reps with quality technique and form. And it's just something you have to practice. So if it's a particular lift, like a, I don't know, a back squat or a front squat, something that maybe a lot of people out there might know, if you are really good at those, try to do maybe a 200 meter sprint and then come and pick up the barbell and see if you can do three, four, five good reps at a heavy weight. Um, you've got to just teach your body how to, this is going to feel. And when you're doing that at the same time, your mind is also going to be trained because it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to be very comfortable. Um, at some point you're just going to have to get over it. Um, I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. You have to just, you're not going to ever really feel great once you start getting in deep into these workouts. So it's learning how to accept that everybody has it. You know, there's not people out there that feel great when they're doing, a long workout and they have to lift heavy weight when they've been working for 15 minutes prior to that. So, um, except the fact that it's, it's, it's the same thing 
for everybody, the same set of circumstances, the people that succeed the most are the ones that are able to adapt to that, accept it, deal with it. And they've been in that place so many times that they know how to use their bodies and, and correct them. So this is where it's going to be important for you to have somebody who can coach you or provide you with tips and drills to perfect your form. And that's where it's great that a lot of the technology we have today allows you to video every single minute of your workouts and from all angles. So you can coach yourself to a degree, but you can also provide yourself with visual, you know, stimulation and cues on what you can improve um, as you're training. Yeah. I love how you said uh, everybody's going to feel that pain. And I, I, I try to stress this to, to kids and, and coaches and people when I'm talking to them, it's not like there's people who are immune to getting nervous, you know, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth world series, every single hitter, every single player, every single pitcher on that field is nervous. Right. But like you said, you train enough, you do it enough, you get the reps in to where there's a lot of muscle memory involved. And then you train your brain to kind of push through that to still get a, uh, the, a result that's desirable. And that's really a separating factor uh, between the ears, between most people say it's your first big league call up the difference between like, Hey, you know, I've trained at this. I'm confident. Just like you, when you, when you got started getting some playing time as a sophomore, it'd be really easy to fold up like a sack of potatoes, but you'd put it in the, the previous work and you had the confidence to say, you know what? I have been working at this. Uh, the outcome is going to be what it is, but I'm going to go in here with some confidence knowing that, Hey, I put in the effort I was putting in the swings as opposed to the guy who, you know, I'm just not getting playing time. It's the coach's fault. I should be X, Y, and Z. When they get their their shot, they're just not prepared for it. Right. Yeah, that, yeah that's exactly it. And, yeah, I can go back to getting those opportunities early on in my career. And and I literally am I'm talking to myself in my head and also out loud as I'm on the on-deck circle or, or in certain at-bats, I'm like, you deserve this. You deserve to drive this runner in from second base. You've worked for this. I mean, I literally can remember you know, just voicing that to myself over and over again in certain situations. And uh, just knowing that I prepare for these moments and I'm not doing anything that I haven't done before. You know, when you're you're playing, you know, baseball, it's like I'm, I'm not being asked to to shoot a three-pointer right now this is baseball this is what i what i do every day this is what i live mm-hmm. what i breathe what i eat you know so the, i'm not being asked to do anything that i haven't prepared for so you know yeah it's just really zoning in on that and telling yourself look i've worked for this i deserve the success that i'm about to get so let's go ahead and and do it and that's just breeding confidence and with confidence comes a more of a positive result usually uh a lot of people and it, it, one of the tough things to overcome mentally for a lot of people is that that thought of failure. You know, anytime you're trying something new or even if you've been doing it and it's the next level, getting rid of that, the thought of failure can be extremely tough. You know, obviously preparation uh, helps breed that confidence to say, you know, I'm not going to fail because I prepared. You know, is there anything that you could tell somebody, especially now that you've done multiple sports and, and, and have found success in multiple sports, when you have that sense of failure, that, that fear of failure is what I would call it, especially probably early on in your CrossFit career, like, man, these guys are, are better than me. I don't know if I belong here or whatever it is, watching your, you know, those people on TV. What are, what are some things that you would tell yourself while you're training maybe to help you prepare for that situation to try to alleviate that fear? 
Yeah, it's a it's a very realistic thing. Like you said, probably more early on in your your sport or your career or whatever it, it may be, you you have those feelings of apprehension or lack of confidence. And again, it, it boils down to maybe if you have a coach or a mentor or somebody that you know is helping you in the journey, you, you can maybe lean on them for for advice. Or if you have anything that you've done, I would say that you did better than you expected to or something that you didn't you weren't very good at initially that has gotten better a skill set or maybe you know I, I couldn't hit the ball to the opposite field but look over the last three months I've been working on this day after day and now I feel really good about it you have to find something that you have improved on or, or you're very good at and use that as the springboard to build your your confidence in other areas so if you know we're talking about baseball again if you if you feel really good about the way you're hitting you know, translate that to other skills on the diamond, be it base running or playing defense. And if you get called up to the next level, you've got to say, look, I, I can play with these guys. They called me up here for a reason. I mean, they wouldn't have just done it just to appease me and make me feel happy. So there's a reason why they thought you were ready for the next level. And same sort of thing with CrossFit. If I make it to a competition or if I qualify, um, I, I didn't just do it by luck. I must have been doing something right if I got here. So you've got to find something that will give you a little bit of positive energy and let you puff your chest out and you don't have to be cocky about it but you've got to have a little bit of an edge you know a little bit of a, a pride about yourself in order to, to succeed and, and you don't have to voice it to anybody but you've got to in your head you've got to have a little bit of an edge or else yeah you will you get lost in the shuffle and and you won't maximize your your potential so how do you when when for you, whenever you have a skill set, you're really good. Like you said, man, I'm really, I've been hitting the ball really well. Uh, it's hard sometimes to think I need to keep working on other things as well. Right. I'm really good at this and it's been showing. Why would a, would somebody want to go out and work on base running then? Why would they want to go work on fielding? Why would they want to uh, do something that they're not as good at? You know, when you're really good at something and you, like you said, that's the confidence and then to go over and do something you're not as good at, what what's a reason somebody would do that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll relate this to kind of the CrossFit um, right now. And and the again the the great thing about the sport is that there are literally uh, you know, hundreds of movements that we have to execute, and we may not know what the workout is until you know 30 minutes before we do it, um, or we don't know what a competition's workouts are going to be until you actually get there. So you've got to be prepared for anything and everything, and that forces you to work on things that you're not comfortable with because it happens to me all the time in competitions. I'll, I'll get certain movements that are not my best movements for whatever reason. And those movements come up and then there's a little bit of a pit in your stomach. You're like, ah, no, this, this <laughs> movement again. And, and that's the worst feeling in the world when that, that, that happens because you know, you, you know, that's an issue. It's a weakness for you or an area that needs to be worked on more often. And if you don't do that work and gets called, um, there's that, that gut, that gut punch that you get. So what I'm going after is I'm trying to eliminate that feeling. I want to get to a competition and have my worst movement come up and say, okay, that's great. I've been working on these the last two months. I'm ready for them. Um, so it's just about being well-rounded. The best people in our sport of, of fitness, the sport of fitness are the ones that are the most well-rounded. They have very few, if any weaknesses. And how do you get to that point? You've got to train the movements that you're not that good at mm -hmm. twice as much as the ones that you are good at. And that's just about, again, having a little bit of pride in, in your ability. Yeah, if you're, you know, a great, great hitter and, and you don't have any speed, it's easy to not work on 
your base running, but how good can you be if you work on your base running? And then who knows when that's going to come into play when you've got to go from first to third in a situation where you're in the playoffs or, you know, trying to win a series to get you to the playoffs or, or win a championship, you know, those little things that you didn't work on somewhere along the line, they're going to come back and they're going to bite you if you don't work on them. So again, that, that, that feeling of not being prepared is the, is the worst feeling in the world. And that's the feeling I'm fighting to not have, you know, when mm-hmm. I go to competition. So um, it, 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 that's not something I think you, you know, when you're, you're younger or early on, unless somebody who's a smart mentor or a coach is telling you that experience really is the, the ultimate, you know, teacher in that, in that sort of element I've learned. But again, if you can get, get somebody who teaches you that early on, you're, you're going to win a lot, it'd be a lot better, a lot faster than other people. So that's one of those shortcuts that I would pass on to the next generation. If I, if I could. Yeah, and it's lucky for me that there wasn't a bunch of guys that thought that way going through the minor league system because there was guys who were just skill-wise just flat-out better than me. You know, they could hit the ball further, they could run faster, they could throw harder, they had the tools and everything they needed to succeed. But I was willing to work on every aspect all the time. I was, you know, defense was important to me. Base running was important to me. Hitting well was important to me. Getting the bunt down was important to me. Uh, every aspect of that game was important to me. And I think if you'd like you said, going in and I, I'm prepared because I've been working on these different aspects. You know, how many times do you see the guy, uh, even when you're in college, wherever it is, and you start hitting uh, BP on the field a lot, you see the guy who's out there shagging. Yeah. And every day he's taking his balls. Even if he's the best hitter on the team, that's the guy that's going to keep going to the next level and the next. Whereas opposed to oh, the guy can go in there and, and hit a bunch of home runs and BP, he goes out and instead of shagging, he just wants to talk, right? Or wants to do something different. There's a time for some focus. And it doesn't take, it's not like it takes a ton of energy in baseball to focus and get 15 or 20 reps in the outfield or, or, or take 30 ground balls. Yeah. It, but what it is, is a mental focus, you know, that says, hey, I need to get this done, even when I don't feel like doing it. Because baseball is one of those games, and there's a reason that there's such a deep minor league system, because it takes a lot of time to develop a player. You know, it's not like a player can just very rarely do you ever see a player go from high school to the big leagues. Hardly ever happens, right? Yep. What you see a lot of is guys that maybe go to high school and are in the minor leagues for four or five years, six years, then go to the big leagues, or a guy that's in college is in the minor leagues for two, three, four years, then goes to the big leagues. So development is incremental and it takes some time but if you're working at it a little bit at a time and like that little tip you just gave them that's a way to kind of overcome things a little bit quicker because when you hit the next level that you're not as good at and there's other players who are better than you you're going to overcome it by being a little more well-rounded yeah exactly yeah i mean and you know there are uh, certainly exceptions to the rule like you just mentioned there are very very few that can make those huge leaps in short, short amount of time when it comes to baseball. Um, but by and large, yes, the great majority of people are, are there for years before they get to, to the major league. So you're, you're trying to find these uh, cheat codes or these shortcuts um, to, to getting there. And the shortcut is there is no shortcut, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's actually, you know, yeah, taking a little bit of extra effort. And yeah, like you talked about with the shagging fly balls, I mean, as an outfielder, that, that was my thing. I mean, so, I mean, I, I, I played batting practice fly balls as hard as I did in the game. I mean, I was 
dripping, you know, by the time batting practice was over and I was playing in the outfield. So I didn't really, yeah, I didn't afford myself that luxury. I think me not starting out as a starter in baseball, that kind of played into it. I had to prove myself. I felt like every day in batting practice or every game in batting practice, that was my proving ground. If I could make some diving catches or, you know, show that I can cut balls off in the gap and, and practice all the proper mechanics, that's going to, you know, the coaches will the coaches will notice that sort of thing. And, and that's where maybe I got myself at bats in games just because of my effort in batting practice. So, you know, if you're going to do something, yeah, you you can't just turn the switch on and off and expect to have the results that, that you really want. People and coaches love to give the guy a chance who's working hard. They, they want to give that guy an opportunity, right? So mm-hmm. as opposed to the guy who's being lazy, if you have two guys that are equal, if you think, okay, this guy can get the job done just as good as this guy, and the coach has seen one guy working hard at it and the other guy not doing as much, they're always going to go with the guy who's been working harder at it. And, and what I would say to anybody is don't think about it as, okay, the coach is watching me right now. Do it when nobody's watching, and then it's easy to do when the coach is watching you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a thousand percent with that one. And it's the same thing as I related now to, to what I, I do with CrossFit. I mean, there's many training sessions where I'm not in a gym with other people working out. I'm at home. With my, I have a home gym set up, or I might be at the gym, and you know, no one else is there. Those are the moments when you, it's just you, the clock, you, the workout, and only, you know, if you gave your, gave your, your full effort, or if you, you know, decided to call it quits before you really got to the crux of a workout where you were going to be pushed and actually get better. And so those are the moments when, you know, championships are won or starting spots are, are won or playing time is won. And it's, it's pretty cliche to say, but honestly, that's, that's really where, where things are are done. I'm sure you have plenty of examples of, of time you you worked when there weren't were the coaches around or, or anybody around, but those are the times you look back on and say, man, that's where I, that's where I made it right there. It wasn't when I was, you know, at practice or in games and things like that. Yeah. And I think that for me, one of the biggest things that, that helps me succeed is being very honest with myself, trying to be as honest as possible. And if I'm in a little bit of a groove, cause life does get monotonous, whether it's in my business or, uh, uh, with my family life or whatever I'm doing, there are times where I'll get into a little kind of that nonchalant, like going through the motion stage. But the cool thing is no matter what stage you're in in life, maybe you haven't been doing anything productive for a long time. You can change it in an instant. It's just about deciding, you know what, today I'm going to go and do something that's going to be a little more productive than what I normally do. And for a kid playing baseball, it would be, Maybe, maybe today I'm going to go to practice a little bit early and hit some balls off the tee. Maybe I'm going to take some extra ground balls. Maybe I'm going to uh, go and run some sprints. Maybe I'm actually going to take this workout in the gym serious today and then kind of build off of that, you know, because I think a lot of times uh, we, we get into that mode and it's almost like we feel a little, a little bit of guilt, a little bit of like, I know that I should be doing more, but you know, I'm kind of in this mode now and it's comfortable and if I do more, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. But I would say you get more fulfillment if you go ahead and knock that out of the park. For me, I, I, that's what I tell guys all the time. I'm not perfect in the fact that I'm always doing everything the right way, 100%. Like I never missed a workout, never missed a workout, never did X, Y, and Z. But what I did was when I could correct myself quickly. So when I, when I saw, you know what, 
I'm being a little bit lazy here. Oh, I need to get my base running in over here. And when I had the decision, I didn't do it. It would hit me and I'd say, you know what? That's not going to get me to where I want to go. Just like the accountability inside of yourself is the hardest accountability to keep, right? It's hard for me on a daily basis to be accountable and say, be really honest. Did you really do all you could do today to get better in your business or in like for you in your CrossFit or for what, me with my family? Did, was I really the best husband I could be today? That's hard. To, it's hard if you say, ask yourself that because usually the answer is no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally agree that that voice in your head, that inner coach are, is always is always on. And as much as you want to shut it up, sometimes it, it usually is telling you, yeah, that uh, you didn't you didn't perform uh, in certain areas of your life where you should. And and again, like we talked about before, you know, everyone, like I said, you know, everyone experiences the discomfort, the pain in the workouts that we're doing. Everyone has these same thoughts who navigates them the best, who does things on a more consistent basis that are out of their comfort zone or who holds themselves accountable the most are the ones that are able to, you know, succeed more than, than those who are a little more passive in their, you know, attempts to, to be better. So yeah, yeah, that, that voice is something you have to always listen to. It's always going to be going and you got to be able to, to work through that. Well, regardless of what you do, you're going to hit a point where somebody's not there to pat you on the back. You know, in baseball, you hit a point to where nobody really cares about Andy Dirk's career as much as Andy Dirk's. You know, yeah. the coaches are there. They're 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 helping maybe the, the a guy who's supposed to get to the big leagues quicker, whatever it is. But there's going to be a point where mom and dad aren't there to pat you on the back. You know, you don't have the buddies around you to pat you on the back and say, "Hey, great job." You got to find that inside yourself. You know, and that's what uh, becoming like an individual ball player at times is important. But you also you also said, you know, it's good to have a good mentor or coach. Uh, what was like, how do you how do you find a good mentor and coach? First of all, like what was what were some things where you said, you know, uh, this guy knows what he's talking about or this girl knows what he's what they're talking about. Maybe I should listen. Right. Because I think a lot of us that that prideful nature, especially once we get good at something, it's we it's hard to be coachable at times because we get to the point where we think we know it all. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, the the cool part about, you know, for the younger generation growing up now and for everybody, for that matter, um, we have a lot more access to people than we maybe used to, you know, growing up um, in the kind of 90s, 80s, etc. Um, now, I think finding somebody might be easier than ever. And you almost have to start to, you know, kind of decode who's good and who's who's not at, at being a, a mentor for you. So I would say, yeah, for me, it, it was just a matter of, you know, if I had kind of early on in my CrossFit career, it was just being a sponge for anybody who had knowledge of Olympic lifting, because again, I had never done those movements before. So if I had someone who could lift more than me, that was somebody I was going to talk to and try to find out, okay, can you take a look at my reps? Let me know what I'm doing right or wrong here. Or if somebody was good at rowing or running um, again, I wasn't, wasn't too proud to ask people that were better than me, what I could do to improve my skill set. And that, you know, wasn't, that was something that came natural for me. But again, like you said, if somebody's got some ability or feel like they've gotten really good at something, it can be hard to humble yourself. But again, I don't think you're going to be worse off for asking for, for help or for people's advice on, on things because no one's ever perfect at any given task or anything like that. So you can never achieve that, but you want to 
get as close to that as possible and and leaning on people who have been where you want to go or are, are better than you at certain aspects is where you want to want to start so and that goes with anything i mean this we're talking more be maybe more in a sports athletic sort of round but the same thing goes for business that's how i found success in my real estate career i literally just uh, started calling on agents who were at the top of the marketplaces i was in and emailed and called them and networked and that's how i learned a lot faster so you can get better faster by talking to people and finding those that are really good at what they do or better than you or did it 30 years ago and are still doing it now so you know that's, that's just my advice just find somebody who's been doing what you want to do and talk to them and you can get there a lot faster than maybe they did that's the that's the the best advice you can give anybody i think right there i did the exact same thing in my real estate business i said where do i want to go who's already there how do i pick their brains and the funny thing is i'm trying to get to where they're going the people who are there most of them are trying to get to that next level and then those people are trying to get to the next level you know so it the the cool thing is even if you hit the top of your game you know michael jordan in his prime was one of the best basketball players on planet earth regardless but there was a point where he was no longer the best basketball player on planet Earth. But Michael Jordan, being Michael Jordan, created companies that were worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? So he took that, that same idea and those same aspects and, and delivered them in the real world. I call it the real world. Sports is the real world, but in more yeah. of the secular, you know, day-to-day -day business life. Right. Yeah. And, that, and all he did was just reinvented himself in you know into the into the business world and now you know he's at the top of you know the the shoe apparel you know kind of industry as well so and and an owner of a nba franchise so i mean that's that's the cool part about it that's the great thing about life is you're not stuck in one lane you know if you're really good at something and have done it for a long time but you know you have another itch to scratch or you're getting bored like you said monotony kicks in you can reinvent yourself and and take it in a whole nother direction and and do that. You know, you have to have again some confidence and and I think there was a recent book that I read, a business related book, and it was where a lot of people were successful people were interviewed and one of the things that came across was try to do something that puts you out of your comfort zone every day. And it doesn't have to be some monumental task, but if you do something like that, that's going to make a big difference in your life. And I tried to start to do that as I, after I read that and, and you acquire so many new skills, many different areas of confidence, your confidence grows, your mental strength gets better. So that's just a, a cool little tip. And again, it could be, if you're a quiet person, maybe it's just saying hi to a stranger in a grocery store or offering to help somebody, you know, pick up something or just doing something, you know, paying for somebody, if you're to drive through paying for the person behind you, or, you know, it's just, Again, it doesn't have to be some huge thing, but if you do something out of your comfort zone every day, or maybe if you're always on your phone, take the last 30 minutes of the night and read a book. I don't know. You know, yeah. these little things that, you know, that, that you do that, again, just just add a little flavor to life. You know, put a little spice on it. And you do these kind of things, and that's where you're going to really start to, to grow as a person, and no matter what field you're talking about. Yeah, it's stimulating. You know, you're always challenging yourself. Uh, I, I speak to a lot of high school kids and, and youths, and I have yet to... I always go with the point that as long you need to start heading in a positive direction. And what do I mean by that is have, have a goal or something that you're trying to accomplish. Cause I have yet to have a kid in high school say, you know what I want to be when I grow up a podiatrist, right? No. Yeah. But what I tell them is if you're heading towards 
uh, a goal, your learning skills, other avenues open. It's just the way life works. So when you're when you're working hard to- towards a, a goal or something that, that you feel strongly that you want to get to, you're going to be learning things as you go. Now, when that door opens, like you said, there could be a whole bunch of little doors that are out of your comfort zone, zone that if you take those and work on those, it's going to open the big door for, for that, that big opportunity that everybody's waiting for. And it seems like only a few people get. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And so, yeah, again, as we're always trying to access the, the, uh, the, the quick way, you know, we're in a society of immediate results and um, that sort of thing. If you can prepare yourself, you know, in little ways, that's where things add up, you know, paid books are hundreds of pages long, but chapters are made up of, you know, 20 pages, 15 pages, and every, every page in that book means something in the grand picture, in the grand scheme of things. And you've got to make sure that you fill your pages, you know, with, with good content. Otherwise you can't just jump to the end of the book and understand what happened. Yeah. Um, I love the, the, the get rich quick schemes. What I always, what I would say to anybody who's going to maybe try to fall into that trap is who's the owner of the company? Who are the owners of this company? How many hours did they work and how much effort did they put in to build a company that's kick quick rich? Thousands. Yeah. Yep. Thousands of hours. They put their blood, sweat, and tears into this product and marketing it and learning the business and learning these different things to promise you quick su- success just doesn't make sense. You know, quick success would be you go buy a lottery ticket. Oh, I hit the Powerball jackpot. What happens to people when they win Powerball? They win fifty million. Five years yeah. later, they're broke. Yeah. So that that would be quick success, and you see what happens. Now, these people who are doing these <laughs> these get rich quick schemes are putting thousands of hours into it, and then promising you something that they didn't even do. They don't even believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. Like you said, I, I was literally thinking of that lottery example as you as you brought it up. It's it's kind of those things where okay, if you got the success you wanted a day after you started dreaming for it, what would you even know how to handle it? You know, and there, there's a, there's a lot to handling success because it's, it's an also an acquired skill as much as the skills that you need to get there. Um, because once you get there, um, you're not going to feel like you're there. You're going to still feel like, like you just said, when you are talking to people that are at the top of your marketplace and in the real estate, they're looking to get to the next level and the, the two levels beyond that. So it's understanding that, and being prepared for success as much as you are for the, the journey to success. This is kind of my perspective on it. Attaching to the process and learning to enjoy the process as you're going through it makes life so much better. <laughs> Understanding, just go ahead and know if you get into real estate or you get into CrossFit, you're not going to uh, place first place in the CrossFit games and the Reebok CrossFit games your first year, most likely. Right. Unless you're an absolute freak but I think there's other people who have been training that will prove to you that's not going to happen for you. Right. Same way in real estate, you're not going to go and be a $20 million producer year one. It just doesn't happen. But understanding that this process can be enjoyable attached to that challenge and enjoy your life while you're going through it. Don't worry about the outcome so much that it distracts you from the process. Yeah, that, that's one of those things that, yeah, unfortunately, you didn't learn until, until later on. But if you can pass that on to somebody when they're in their youth, I mean, that's, again, that's one of those things that 
will just explode their their results much faster than the doing it the opposite way where you're obsessed with just the end product and not you know what goes into it so uh, that's yeah, yeah that's a, a huge a huge law of attraction that you want to teach everyone as soon as possible so you're still training you're still doing crossfit are you doing anything uh you're you're in the real estate business you just moved to new mexico so you're you got to get that rolling again do you do any uh coaching or anything with your crossfit uh career um i i don't do as much kind of uh person-to-person coaching as i used to but i do uh, program workouts and sessions for a small subset of the members of the gym so I am. Yeah. If people want to compete in local competitions or, you know, get better at the sport uh, of CrossFit, that's kind of where my, my uh, area of connection is with people in our gym right now. So kind of day to day and week to week, I'm, we program in three month uh, chunks for our members. And so, yeah, for those quarters, you know, they can join my team and, and then I'm programming the workouts for them and trying to see what we can do to improve their fitness when it relates to them competing for upcoming competitions. And the great part is CrossFit is of course the, the main vehicle that we're working through, but the training actually works for almost any other sport you can think of, whether you're an endurance athlete, a triathlete or a power lifter or an Olympic lifter, um, or you play sports, you know, specific sports, baseball, football, hockey, et cetera. The CrossFit methodology will actually translate well to those other areas of physical exertion and effort. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, you said there's hundreds of different movements. Uh, you can probably knock down or, and say, Hey, these, these movements over here are really going to help you as an athlete. Hey, with flexibility, speed, explosion, things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you know, there are, a ton of movements that we would have to learn, but yeah, you could, you can boil it down to some that are done more often than others that have the most bang for your buck. And so those are the, a lot of the movements that we focus on primarily, you know, maybe 80% of the time, but the other 20% we're making sure that we're adding supplemental movements in or single arm, single leg uh, movements where we're, we're breaking the larger movements down. And, and that's where you can continue to progress no matter how long you've been doing this you can still get stronger 10 years into it you can still be more fluid in movements and still get in better cardiovascular condition and etc so that's what keeps people coming back is that you see this constant improvement even Mm -hmm. as long as you've been doing it It, uh, for me you know when i was in high school uh the olympic lifts just got popular and our coach didn't know anything about them and what, what what we were doing our football coach you know but he wanted us to do hand clean and stuff like that Obviously, no form involved, just rip the weight up and get it going. Yeah. Uh, I think we're getting smarter as a culture in baseball because lifting in baseball really wasn't popular until the 90s. Uh, but I think as a culture, we are getting better to understand, hey, you know, there's limitations. So for young kids out there who are thinking, you know, uh, that they want to get into the weight room and start uh, getting stronger and, and working on that, that sort of thing, where does a, where does a kid start or where does a, a person start on something like that? Uh, yeah, for me, and this is be interesting for me because I, I do have a, a young son who will be turning two in a few months here, and and he's he's shown some athletic kind of natural tendencies, and you know, let's let's just say he decides he wants to, you know, hit the weight room, and he's eight or ten years old, or and he wants to do CrossFit or anything like that. I would say for someone of that young of age, or you know, kind of leading into the early uh, years of teenager, 
I would say get really, really good at mastering your body weight and moving it in space. And what I mean by that is you can get plenty strong without touching a barbell or a dumbbell or a kettlebell and just take a look at any gymnast you see in the Olympics or in college or any sort of high level. Um, they, they are doing some weightlifting, but by and large, they're using just their bodies. And you can't tell me that they're not the most ripped-looking athletes uh, yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of any sport. So there's a lot that can be done with just mastering your body weight and getting good at push-ups and pull-ups and dips and squats and box jumps and things like that. So once somebody demonstrates to me a lot of ability and control with their body, then we can start moving external loads and getting good at that. And then from there, I would probably just introduce, you know, barbells and kettlebells. I mean, not barbells, I'm sorry, dumbbells and kettlebells, you know, objects that are a little more awkward to handle. And we have to use single arm and single leg movements and really explore our bodies and get confident in that. And then we can go to a barbell and, you know, really heavy movements and things like that. So there'll be a progression that I would say you want to go through with, with kids who are maybe looking to rip the weights off the ground and get strong. So I would say start, mm -hmm. with, the body, or start with the body weight. And once you can get really good at that stuff, then we'll go from there. Yeah, I love it. Because the gains you're going to see are going to be incremental anyway, right? And then, like you said, there's plenty of gains to be had just with your body weight, just with, with without weight, right? So get those gains first. Once you master those, then you can move on to the weights. I think that's extremely good advice, especially in an age where we're seeing Tommy John surgery at a whole new rate <laughs> that nobody's ever seen before. Yeah. Uh, guys are getting, they're stronger, they're throwing too much, but they're, they're getting, uh, their muscles are so strong and they're throwing the ball harder and their bodies aren't even developed yet. And we're seeing injuries that, that can probably be prevented uh, if people would just step back and look at this as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, that's, that's the thing where people are running before they can walk and, and, you know, the body is just showing them that, no, this is too much, too fast. And, and then everybody's getting under the, under the knife. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's just crazy to see, like you said, the rates at which people are, are getting the, the Tommy John surgery. And it's almost like, oh, you should just, just go ahead and get it done before you even, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, before hurt. you even hurt. Yeah. Just let me, let, let's go in there and just put a, a, a cadaver. <laughs> Uh, ligament in there before you even get hurt it just doesn't make sense yeah yeah so that's that's another one of those things that's really difficult to teach younger athletes is warming up properly and i mean not, not just younger athletes i don't want to limit it to them it's honestly everybody but i think as you're younger it's a lot easier to not have a before we're thinking about injuries or anything like that but a proper warm-up and then a proper cool down uh, before and after workouts is kind of the secret sauce that's going to allow you to stay as injury free as possible and then continue to get better, you know, year after year as you're, as you're training. So those are the things that you hope that the coaches and the people on the training staffs that are around these athletes are, are preaching to them. And if they aren't, then they're doing them a great disservice. Yeah. I think it's something we are getting better at, but baseball is just behind, you know, football and track and, and these different athletes are way ahead when it comes to the training aspects of the sport. Uh, baseball players as a whole, you know, the gains you see in football are pretty self-evident. If you're yeah. bigger and faster, you're going to, you're, you're, uh, you're more dynamic on the field. There's just no way around it. In baseball, you see some gains. You still have to hit the baseball. You still have to run the bases. You, you know, there's still some other aspects involved, but when guys try to get those gains quickly, because baseball is not traditionally a weightlifting sport, like some of the other sports, 
that's where we're, we're still in this mode of trying to figure it out and what's better. And the knowledge, like you said, there's a ton of information, but narrowing it down to get proper information is the tough part. For me, you know, when I came through, I had two back surgeries later in my career, and a lot of it was damage I had done at younger ages from improper lifting and, and uh, bucking hay bales and doing all this crazy stuff when I was young. Like you said, when you're young, if you want to use your body when you're 40 or 50 or 60, you, you, you can't wear it out when you're 20. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah, very difficult to, to teach when you're, when you're 13, yeah. 10, 8. And, you're uh, invincible. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to do crazy <laughs> things like just flying 30 feet in the air from swings and landing. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think we all go through that. And that's, that's part of growing up is just exploring your body and what you're capable of. Um, and, yeah, you don't want to rob yourself of that, um, kind of looking at it from, you know, from the back end of things. But, yeah, that's, that's the, the great part of, of what we're doing, uh, relating it back again to, to CrossFit. I mean, I do it competitively and I'm trying to push myself to my limit. But this, what, what we do, it can be done for people of all ages. There are people in their 60s and 70s doing CrossFit and maybe they're not training to, you know, be the best in the world. They're just training so that they can carry groceries up their flight of stairs without any assistance or mm-hmm. they, can, they can move furniture or they can push and pull the garbage can in and out of the house, you know, every, every week and not have to have someone, you know, help them. So that's where you're really trying to, you know, improve yourself. And that's, that's honestly part of what I'm doing too. Yes. I'm trying to be the best athlete I can be, but I want to be independent when I'm 80 years old, 90 years old. I want to still be able to, to squat and lunge and pick things up and off of shelves and not have to have someone to help me do that sort of stuff. So that's, that's the, the large, large picture of what I'm doing. I'm trying to keep these movements, you know, and like I said, I have a young son and I'm looking at him. He squats, you know, so perfectly and we're born that way. Mm-hmm. And he moves, he moves so well, he runs, he jumps. That's, that's how we're born. Somewhere along the line, we lose that when we sit at a desk all day or we're, or on our phones or we're, you know, we're being inactive watching TV or a screen. And so that's a, a part of my you know kind of mission is to teach him and, the younger generation that look, we're born to move. We're not born to, to sit and, you know, for hours on end before we get up and, and lose all the flexibility and fluidity in our muscles and bodies that we're born with. We got to continue to to use that or else it's going to be lost. A body in motion stays in motion. <laughs> you know, yes, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. The statistics on uh, how long people live after they retire from employment too, are pretty staggering, which is uh, just showed you, you got to keep moving. You got to keep doing stuff and, and that's how you maintain and that's how you keep a good quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. It's, it's really difficult to do that in today's age because we have so many readily available distractions, devices, things that will keep us sedentary and it's up to active people to spread the gospel of activity and, you know, the medical professionals, I think, will will do their part to tell people that. But you have to have people in your life that are giving you those examples um, of how effective that sort of thing can be. And so it's just a day-to-day thing where you have to be surrounded by people that are doing that. And it will then translate to your life as well, I think. After this talk, right now, I'm about to get up and go move. I'm yeah. motivated. I'm yeah. ready to get out of this chair and do something productive. Yeah. Alex, it was a pleasure, man. Hey, where can uh, people find you if they want to see some of the stuff you're doing? You're on social media. You got Instagram. I, I think we're, I'm following you on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter as well, but I'm not really active there. 
Um, mm -hmm. I, I keep my social media pretty boring by design. I just post a lot of myself doing workouts and stuff. I don't involve other things. I'm, it, yeah. I, I try not to spend as much time as I do on it. And I'm impressed with a lot of the people that, and how much content they can publish there. But again, that's not me. I, I can't, I'm not as fancy as other people, but yeah, you can follow me on Instagram for kind of workout ideas and things. I'm, I try to preach positive things there. So it's just a Al Netty um, is my handle, A-L-N-E-T-T-E-Y. And you can find me there. I'm also on Facebook, just Alex Netty. But um, yeah, you can go there. I'm pretty, I'm pretty accessible. I'm not going to blow you off if you send me a message or comment or anything. I'm not that big time yet. So <laughs> once I get my, my followers up to, you know, a few, a few hundred thousand, I'll start maybe, you know, cutting down on replies, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm there again. And, and I just try to, you know, just have fun with it. I show what I'm doing every, every now and then and um, nothing, nothing fancy, but I, I try to just show that I still got it to the, all the young kids out there. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> kicking it for kicking it for the guys in the mid thirties. Yes, we yes. can still do some stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. We're not not in the breaking out the the, the Theracane yet, and uh, you know the hover, <laughs> the hover round is still in my still in the garage. So I'm just gonna awesome. keep doing that until until things uh, don't allow me to anymore. But hopefully never. Alex, I appreciate it so much. I wish you nothing but the best in your future with uh, real estate and CrossFit. Thanks so much for being on the show and have a great night, man. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was great to see see you, you get up there to the show, and I, I followed you. And even though you, sometimes you beat my White Sox, um, I was I was I was happy to see one of my my fellow Swamp Dogs get up there and and do it amongst the best in the world. So uh, good to catch up with you. All the Carolina Swamp Dogs. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Later, Alex. All right, I right, take care. Hello. There he is. Sorry about hey, that, man. Only 30 minutes late. I, I like to good. be a master of my schedule, but when, yeah. when you deal with clients 24-7, your schedule's not important uh, to them as it is to you. <laughs> you know what That's I'm right. I get it. Yeah, so basically we'll hit an intro. It's kind of loud in the office today. We had this this guy come in. It was actually pretty good stuff. It was about reading body language, and I think any recruiter or anything should listen to some of this stuff because uh, Danny's recruiting for uh, uh, Cal State Fullerton now. Yeah, and Pepperdine. Like, yeah, or Pepperdine. Yeah. And I was like, dude, yeah. you're basically in a sales position now. You know, yeah. you have to sell the program. You have to sell the university. Uh, you have to sell yourself and, and, and the coaches to these parents and these kids, right? Right. Like, learn how – we learned about body language today. It was pretty cool. But what yeah. I'll do, I'll hit a quick intro, uh, and then we'll just get after it. We'll just start talking baseball and talking life. Sounds good. So it's time to get your game right, get your head right. Start doing things that really matter in your life. Let's not focus on things that don't, right? Why do we always do that? It's, it's inevitable. Today on the show, so honored, so blessed to have Justin Henry, a good, good friend of mine. We played together a long time. Really, probably the best way I could describe Justin Henry is he is the guy that you want your son to be. We were out doing stupid stuff. Justin was always doing the right thing, continues to do that to this day. Had an, uh, an amazing playing career, played at Ole Miss, uh, got drafted by the Tigers eight years in, in professional baseball. Uh, never got the call up. Never got the call up, but this was a guy who grinded out every day regardless. Now he's a scout for the Detroit Tigers. Justin, it's an honor, buddy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the uh, kind words there, and I'm glad to uh, be with you here today. Without a doubt. Uh, so, Justin, let's just, just tell some people, because everybody's journey is different. Everybody's past different. Everybody ends up in a different place. It, the funny thing is we all have so much in common. 
but the way we get there is different. So basically, you know, you're a Mississippi boy, born and yeah. raised, born and bred Mississippi boy. What was it like for, for you, your kind of journey and your path? Just uh, uh, tell everybody, uh, how did Justin Henry become Justin Henry? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I grew up in uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi, and um, was uh, uh, very blessed to have two great parents. And my dad was a was a lover of sports and uh, got me involved in, in all sports really early in my life. And um, I, I, I was I was I was hooked right away, um, played every sport growing up, um, football, baseball, basketball, tennis, golf, you name it. I tried it and uh, and uh, and loved every one of them, loved competing. And um, and uh, God also blessed me with the ability to uh, to be fairly good at all those sports as well. And, um, you know, growing up in a in a decent sized town for Mississippi, uh, playing playing all the sports and everything, it uh you know, it was a goal of mine to to play a sport in college, to try to play Major League Baseball or football or basketball or whatever it was. I wanted – you asked, depending on what time of, year, time of year it was, that was a sport I told you I wanted to play when I grew up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it uh, – and um, as I got older and kind of, uh, you know, figured out what I was really good at, what I really enjoyed, you know, baseball always brought me back, you know, the – the difference for me, the reason I probably chose baseball over some of the other sports was, um, you know, football was great, but I hated football practice. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, I uh, think we could all be was, in agreement on it that. It was miserable, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, Monday through Thursday was awful. Now, Friday nights, Friday night football was a lot of fun, but yeah. couldn't stand practice. And, you know, baseball, I could always – I loved going out there and just hitting in the cages. I loved taking ground balls and, and – uh you know, and baseball was definitely the, the right path for me and uh, was, uh, you know, able to uh, get a scholarship to go play at Ole Miss, like you mentioned earlier. And um, and kind of, uh, you know, once you're once you're in college, it's a it's a different ball game. The level definitely of play increases a ton. And, um, you know, that's kind of when. It was a time of, all right, do I really want to. Uh, you know, work at this and be good and, and get the chance to play? Or do I kind of just want to uh, be on the team and, and say I'm a baseball player at, at a at a SEC school? And so, uh, you know, that was when the work really started, I think, for me. Because, uh, you know, like I said, growing up in high school and stuff, it kind of came easy. But once I got to college, it was, uh, you know, time to decide, do I really want to uh, go after this? And, uh, and, and, and I did make that decision to do that. You know, I think it, you, your comp, your competitive drive is is more than I've seen in a lot of guys, and it continued to make you work hard and work harder because uh, you know you weren't the biggest guy, you weren't the strongest guy, but you did have a few things going on for you. Obviously, you could field the ball, you could play. You were well rounded. You were similar to me. You know, you're just a good baseball player. That doesn't just happen overnight, and I think that's something that that, that a lot of people don't understand. And I tell people all the time, there's 20% of guys that are just so good, it doesn't even matter. Right. You know, they're, they're Aaron Judges. You got, you know, these guys who, they're just animals. Miguel Cabrera. Absolutely. Like Justin Verlanders. These guys are just that good. It, do, it doesn't matter as much. But, but for guys more like us, you know, it, it takes learning the game at an intricate level. Understanding no doubt. the game. To be able to go out and compete on a daily basis is not easy. 
and it no, takes, no takes time to learn it, right? So for yeah. you, what were some triggers for you to that you use to go out every single day, compete against some of the best players on the planet, and perform at the level you did? You know, I think for me is, and you know, baseball is 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 a very humbling game, and it can make every single day it can make some of the best athletes and players in the world look pretty ridiculous at times. And, um, and I always wanted to put my best foot forward on the field that day. Like I never wanted to be embarrassed by what I was doing out there. I never wanted to, um, you know, let the team down. I always wanted to put my best foot forward. And so truthfully, um, you know, the hard work, the, the being locked in every day, like it was out of fear of, I didn't want to look bad out there at times, you know? I mean, it's because, you know, you're facing some of the best guys, you know, at the, at the levels in minor leagues. And, and I mean, there's a lot of dudes out there and, and I still look silly at times, but, um, you know, I wanted to be sure that I was uh, putting my best foot forward every single day. And, you know, I think I realized, I don't know if everybody always realizes in the moment that like you can get released any day you're out there. You you can be done and finish playing. And like you said, I was I was an athletic guy, um, but I didn't have just like overriding tools that just separated me from other people. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be um, at my best and locked in mentally every single day because I couldn't hit the ball 500 feet and I didn't wasn't the fastest guy on the field and I didn't throw it the hardest. So, you know, it was, it was something that I had to do to be able to play as long as I did. Without a doubt. And the one thing I always love about you, Justin, is you ma- not only did you maximize your skill set, I think you maximized your mental side of the game too. Understanding that, Hey, I need to be a quarterback here, not only on the field, but off the field. Like every, every, if somebody had an issue or something going on, Justin's your go-to guy. Like, and organizations and teams thrive on needing somebody like that, right? That, that kind of that solid rock. Every single day that, that you're around Justin, you know exactly what you're going to get. It's never wavering. It's, it's constant. What, what are some of the, the drivers that you found? And this is something I work on every day. And I'm still trying to get to that Justin Henry level on. I'm sure you. Have <laughs> I don't too. know about that. But just like solidness. Every day you competed. Every day you were the same guy. You knew exactly what you're going to get out of Justin Henry. And I think any organization, and that's, you know, the Tigers obviously have you as a scout now. They see that value in you. How do you, how do you go about that to be that consistent and that persistent towards that goal? Well, I appreciate that. I think it's a tough thing. It's something that you have to make a decision to do every single day. I think you you hit on the word there. The word that I always tried to, you know, to be is consistent. Obviously, in baseball, that's that's an extremely valuable tool to have is a guy that's that's consistent at the plate, that's consistent on the mound, that's consistent defensively, but more so consistent of the type of person you're, you are every single day. And um you know, I think you and me both know guys that we played with that, that you know, one day they come in the clubhouse and they're, they're one person and then the next day they're somebody mm-hmm. else. Or the person that, you know, we've all played with the person that, you know, if they get a hit their first at bat, then it, it, it's going to be a pretty good day. But if they get out their first at bat, it's probably going to be a really bad day. Yeah. And so, you know, you're trying to 
to kind of be that, that level headed middle ground person personality wise, because, you know, baseball is such a grind of every single day and there's so many ups and downs. And, and even as you prepare through high school and junior college, if you go that route or college baseball, nothing can prepare you for professional baseball until you're there because it's every single day. And if you're riding high, all kinds of roller coasters and that's going to affect you on the field. The people that can, you know, get hits and handle the success and get out and handle the failure. Those are the ones that, that I feel like over time are going to be the most successful people. But, you know, it starts, you know, every day of, of just making that decision to be that way. And hopefully over time, like with anything else, you make a certain decision every day to do certain things and it becomes more of a habit for you. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's something I've always, um, I think it's, you know, I'm still working at it to, to be better at it in all aspects of life, but, um, it's definitely something I strive for. Emotional fatigue, I think is something that people don't realize. They realize it in their life, but baseball is probably the best translator as far as a sport to actual life, because life always is throwing us challenges. Every single day there's a challenge. Every single day we, we make bad decisions we have failure, we have success. Like, how do we handle all this stuff? And I think the the emotional fatigue you feel in baseball, because it is more out in the public. Like, if everything I did in, in my daily life, any listener, anything, imagine if anything you did in your daily life was out for the public to see. <laughs> Me and my wife got in an argument today. Everybody knows about it, right? That's baseball. It's that no emotional fatigue of, I'm out here playing. I went over four with four Ks. Everybody saw that. Everybody knows that. I made an error in the outfield. Everybody saw that. Cost the team the game. Everybody saw that. Like, it's funny to me how how people can can look at baseball and be so critical, so quick to be critical on guys as opposed to maybe maybe this is a time we give them a little grace, right? Hey, you know, I think. You there? Andy? Hello? Trying to make hey, sure that I had a plan. Yeah, I was trying to make sure I had a phone call coming in. Trying to make sure oh, I okay. had a plan to go out there. You know, what's – and now that you're a scout, and this is what it, – it's funny because when I got out of baseball and start looking at it as a spectator as opposed to a player, it's hard to remember how hard it was. And I think that's one thing I always remind myself. This game is hard, right? So no doubt. So now you you trans you transform yourself from a player into a scout. What what what's that transformation like? And and do you notice yourself like kind of getting on that? Oh, he should be doing this. He should be doing that. Because you see a lot of managers that used to play, they kind of fall into that mindset. Right. No no doubt. So you know, as you said, I moved over to the scouting side of things and. My first year of scouting was extremely uh, – it was extremely difficult um, for me to uh, – I'm an amateur scout, so I'm going to see high school players and junior college and college players. And um, my expectations of what the players should look like were way too high. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, as I've been playing professional baseball for eight years, 
And so I hadn't seen a high school baseball game since the last high school game I played. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, so I go out there to see these high school guys and then, you know, one of my bosses or somebody calls me and says, who you like? And I'm like, man, they're, they're all terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Nobody's any good. That's right. And it's, you know, I'm watching it because I'm used to watching for the last four years, triple a baseball, you know? And, uh, and now I'm watching these 16, 17 year olds and, and I knew they weren't going to be anywhere close to as good as what I'd been seeing every day, but, but I still had higher expectations for them than I should have had. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had to really, um, you know, go back in my mind bank and remember what it was like playing at that age. And also, to remind myself, okay, I'm looking for tools is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for how aggressive these players are playing the game. I'm looking for, you know, guys that are standing out against these other players their age. And so I really had to, uh, to, to change my view of the game because I had been so used to seeing a certain product on the field and, uh, that was definitely not what I was going to see, but I wasn't supposed to be seeing that. These kids were 17 years old, and they had a long, long way to go to 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 build up to to being whether it was college or or professional players. And so I, uh, it was a really tough thing for me transition that first year of just you know remembering and reminding myself of what what I'm watching right now and not expecting them to be you know as good as I wanted them to be. Yeah, and without a doubt, the first thing that comes to my mind is when I got out of baseball and I got into real estate, I always expected people to really just get after it because that's what I was around, you know? Like, I, I, you hit a certain level, and I think double-A is kind of that, that point. Once you hit double-A, for me, everybody in double-A was pretty much getting after it, going out, trying to win jobs, trying to win games on a daily basis. You know, because you kind of weed out some of that that other stuff in the, in the minor leagues there. But I got into real estate, and I said, oh, I, I just expected everybody in the office to be that way. And they're not, right? So, right. so then, then for me, it was like, well, if not everybody's doing that, and I'm asking questions to these people, and they're just looking at me like I'm an idiot because they're like, nobody's ever asked that question. Why would you ask that? Just go with the, go with the standard quo. Like, quit trying to do too much, right? And I think for young players, especially – uh, going into high school age that do have some talent, there are times that we're going to have serious setbacks because you need to go status quo. You need to go status quo. Don't push yourself. Don't push your limits. And guys that are, that are, they get labeled. You know, you're a good example of a guy who got labeled probably too early on in his career. Where right. it's like Justin Henry, this is what he's going to be. He'll never be an everyday big leaguer. What he's going to be is uh, uh, uh He'll maybe make it to double A once you got in the organization. Doesn't have power, doesn't have this. They're always like, you don't have this. You can't do that. You can't da 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 da. Same way with Andy Dirks. He'll never, you know, my whole career, he'll be a, a bench player. He's a bench player. He's a bench player. He's a bench player. He's a bench player. That's, I've heard that so many times that it was just like, you kind of try to fall into that role, but you got to push yourself past the role, right? Right. Justin Henry, oh, he's going to be a decent college player. Uh, he's never going to make it anywhere in pro ball. He just doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the makeup. So what's it look like for a player who maybe we don't have all the tools, you're working on them daily, the mindset aspect of why am I still going out here when everybody's telling me that I'm not going to make it? Why do I still go out here and, and try to get after it? Yeah, no, it's, 
And that's, and that's the separator, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, we're looking for the toughest part of my job is to find the guys who have that, you know, it's, 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 it's not easy, but it's, it's a lot easier to go and watch a game and pick out who has tools playing the game. Um, Mm -hmm. Anybody that's played can do that. And, you know, it's easy to, Oh, this guy can hit the ball a mile. Oh, this guy can throw it really hard. Oh, this guy's fast. Like that's, that's the easy part of my job. But the difficult part of my job is to find the guys that are going to go that extra mile to put in the work because, um, you know, tools can only take you so far. Even the guys that you talked about, the 20% guys, if they did absolutely nothing, they still wouldn't be where they are today. That's a good like point. They have to put in some time and some effort to, to improve, to, to prove to their employer that they're a reliable player. Um, you know, a lot of the times guys that have tools that you and me know that were super talented, but they just weren't a reliable guy. They couldn't trust that guy to move him up levels or to put him on the field in the big leagues. And, um, you know, so, you know, we try to meet with players. We try to talk to coaches. But, you know, the guys that have that, that, that it factor, that drive to want to be good, to want to, to love baseball enough where they're going to put in the effort every single day, like, it's a hard thing to quantify. And it's a hard thing to figure out. I mean, mm-hmm. you see every year with guys we draft. I mean, we draft them. Every team drafts them. And they don't end up working out. And it's, you know, because you don't – as much as you can do to try to figure out, hey, we know this player. We know what he's like. We know how he's going to be. Until he gets in there and is grinding in the Midwest League or wherever <laughs> yep. it is, that's when you really find out. And there's no real way to – to uh to simulate that until you're actually in it. And so, um, you know, but, you know, you look for, you know, the guys who are obviously hard workers, um, the guys who, who love the game, the guys who will go play summer ball, the guys, you know, I look at you as a perfect example, a guy who went to junior college and, and, you know, the grind that is junior college baseball and then to work their way up to a D one program. Oh. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's seeing those kind of things and trying to, you know, uh, figure out, you know, if, if that's going to translate once they become a professional. You know, I was, I was listening to uh, uh, a guy speak the other day, and it kind of it was pretty, pretty outstanding, I think, as far as how simple this can be. You can tell a lot about a person by their actions. Pretty much speaks volume to their character, to what they're willing to do, to the things they're willing to do. Like you just said, like I went and played winter ball. Not only did I go and play, like I thrived in winter ball, where most Americans go over to the Dominican Republic and are like, get me out of here. Right. You know, we're in the third world country. We're doing this. The actions of what a person really, their integrity and what they really want to do. Like I wanted to be a good baseball player. And for me to get the opportunity to go to the Dominican was a big deal. Right. And I think a lot of times these, these kids lose sight on how important is that opportunity. You, this is one thing I'll tell any baseball player, anybody in life, you only get so many opportunities. If you look at it as I'm too good for this or whatever it is, 
I'm too good for it. You know, I don't know. I, I can, I, I'll get there without it. You're looking at it wrong. Like just to have the opportunity is important and understand that, you know, and I think for uh, like for you, you have the opportunity to be a scout now. You, you earn the opportunity. You could be a guy right now that, uh, are you kidding me? An amateur scout? I'm going to go watch high school games. Like you said, I'm in AAA. But what you've done is not only not went at it with that mindset, you went at it with how can I get better as an amateur scout, which you didn't even know it, but that's what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Like that's huge. If kids can understand, and we live in such a world now, and you see it and I see it, kids just expect opportunity. Right. They just expect things to happen for them. What happens is all of a sudden that runs out and then they're like, I don't know what to do in life. No doubt. No, I see it. I see it with players, you know, players around my community. You know, I've obviously gotten to know a lot of people and, um, you know, there's certain players that, you know, down here, SEC baseball is huge. Yeah. Guys coming out of high school, obviously want to get a scholarship to go play SEC baseball. And it's, um, and I get it. I, I had the opportunity to do that. Of course, you want to have the chance to go play at the highest level. But then the guys that like start to realize that maybe that's not in the cards for them and maybe they have to go to a smaller D1 or maybe JUCO route. And then they're like, well, do I really want to do that? And it's like, well, you would be very successful at the other place if you go that route now because you obviously don't love it enough to want to do it. And yeah. so it's – um. You know, that's that's always an interesting thing for me to hear to hear guys kind of say that or, or do that type of thing, because um, if you really wanted to play, you'd go play anywhere. And uh, that's right. And and so obviously you're not wanting to if, if you're not wanting to go that way. You see, I mean, you see the guy who makes it to, you know, he gets drafted in the 23rd round. He goes to one season, a short season, gets released. He goes and plays independent ball like that guy wants it. He's just not good enough. That's just the bottom right. line. You know, he's just not good enough. I think there is a point where you have to be realistic with yourself. You know, push yourself, but also be realistic with yourself. Could you imagine if you put that much time and effort into something else? You know, the guy that goes and plays independent ball. I wish he would just learn sales or learn learn a different skill with that same energy. He, they're just not passionate like that about it, you know? Right. And, and staying passionate about baseball is a challenge. It as is. you're playing, as you're doing it, because if you've never if, and, and people think, you know, I really wish my kid would just play in the big leagues. Well, the kid probably wishes he played in the big leagues, too. And there's been hundreds <laughs> of thousands of millions of people that wish they could play in the big leagues. Right. As a childhood boy, I think most guys, if you ask them, what's your goal in life? I want to play in the NBA. I want to play in the NFL. I want to play in the big leagues. I want to be a, on the PGA Tour. In reality, the percentage is way stacked against you. Absolutely. So we're, we're talking about me and you not having much talent compared to guys who are the most talented people on the planet. Right. So I want right. to make this clear for, for young people <laughs> listening. Like Justin Henry would school you 99.9% of you in anything you try to compete against him in, whether it's putt-putt golf, you know, like he, he has ability. So let's not – got to still stay reasonable with our mindsets and our thoughts. The game as a whole and life as a whole, understand what you're good at. Justin just said, you know, I understood that baseball was probably my best route. Being an extremely good athlete, probably you were probably the starting quarterback on your football team, were you not? 
Right. Yep. Yeah. Starting, I was too. Starting quarterback. Like we were gifted with the athletic ability to have a chance to go and make something happen. Now, if you're, if you cannot tie your shoes, there's right. an avenue for you. We all are skilled <laughs> differently. So I, I want to make, I just want to make sure that's clear for people listening because I know that we've talked about this and even the high school kids who are out there who love the game of baseball, who want to go pursue it. There's avenues to go pursue baseball, but there's also a time that we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Absolutely. And there, and, and I hate seeing the guy who's five years in the minor leagues, gets released, uh, can't find a job, never got an education, doesn't know anything, goes and, and he, all he's doing is he's going to go to the bar with everybody else and talk about war stories you know right how do we how do we what's the balancing act i mean you see these kids every day what's a good balance like to understand that that baseball is is not life even if you play it in the big leagues it's it's just it's not life Uh, you know it's it's a it's a really good question and it's a tough one to to put your finger on what and exactly around i think i think obviously what you said about you know, the education side of things, um, it's, uh, it's, it's an important thing and, uh, something that, you know, it's, it's gonna, you know, baseball is unfortunately a sport where, you know, you don't receive full scholarships to go play different places. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, education can be a factor really into what school, whether a school will offer you um, a scholarship to play baseball because they know whether you have the GPA or the, the ACT to, to add some more scholarship to that so that they can have you on their team. I mean, I know for a fact that, that schools recruit certain guys because they are good students and they know they can use less of their scholarship money on them. Um, and so, you point. know, that's one way. And I'm still, you know, kind of talking about the side, but like, there's benefits to baseball by, you know, being a good student and being, being a, a, a person that takes his study seriously. But it all goes back to kind of what we were talking about before about, you know, the consistency side of things. And if, you know, it's hard to be consistent in, in one aspect of your life and then completely terrible in the other aspects of your life. Like, mm-hmm. I think eventually that's going to – that. you know you do taking it seriously and trying to get better at it like those are not everybody loves school I get that but in order to play baseball most of the time you got to do it and so you know Mm -hmm. are you going to be a person that that takes it seriously because they want to play or are you going to be a person that just goes through the motions and hopefully coach will figure out a way to still keep me eligible and get me into it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's trying to be consistent in all aspects of your life and, and knowing that, you know, the best baseball players in the world, they're done by the age of 40 at the longest and you still have 40 more years of life, hopefully more to live. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's, there's got to be something else you do after that. Now, luckily for me, I'm able to stay in baseball and, um, 
continue being around it. And that worked out well for me. And there's a lot of avenues like that for players, but you know, there's avenues like what you're doing now or what, you know, some other guys we played with, you see guys in coaching, you see guys in, in, in financial things. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, 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 you know, you, you, until you get there, sometimes it's hard to realize that there's going to be something you have to do after you play. But once you're finished playing, if you don't have an idea, it hits you fast. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so tr- take it from people that, that, that have done it, that it, it hits you fast and, and nobody's going to wait around on you. And so uh, you, better, you better have a plan. I know I was guilty of probably not maybe having as good of a plan as I needed right when I got out, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's a tough thing to, to, to realize, but it, it comes at you fast when you're finished. You know, it's funny because I played three years in the big leagues and then had another year of injury in the big leagues. So four years, basically, in the big leagues. I made money that was life-changing, but I didn't make money that I'm set for life. Right. You know, and that's what – and you in the minor leagues, I mean, you were – what was your last salary in the, in the minor leagues? So my last year of playing – so I played eight years. So seven years of my career were on the minor league pay scale. Which is so? What was which your seventh was year? My seventh year, I was making twenty eight hundred dollars a month, and seasonally, not yeah. for the whole year. Yeah, and I was living in Providence, Rhode Island, which was like the most expensive place to be living, making twenty eight hundred dollars a month, and yeah. uh, and so yeah, so no, to to say I didn't come out with any money, would, that's completely true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is this is real real stuff, right? Uh, it, it's not just glitz and glamour. The cool thing is, I think baseball and, and what you've done with it has helped shape you as an individual, helped build your character up to the point where now you're get, getting in the scouting gig. It's like, not only did you do that, now you have to go back to the beginning. And like right. other guys that, that don't have your experience are already ahead of you, which is kind of frustrating as an athlete to me. Like when you go, when you're done playing, it's like you got to start over and you got to start your new career over now. You got to go through the minor leagues of that career after you've just been in the minor leagues the last eight years, you know? Absolutely. It's definitely a tough thing. And uh, it's something that you have to, I agree that it can be very frustrating. Um, but you, I think also we gained a lot of skills playing that we've kind of talked about as far as, you know, mental toughness and, and ways to, to grind through those seasons that we have to relay to, to the people that we're working with now to be like, Hey, like, I realize I'm new to this, but um, you know, these are some of my experiences I've been through and, and how can I have a lot of valuable things that baseball has taught us. And, you know, sometimes people won't be very receptive to that and sometimes they will, but um yeah. But, you know, I, I know I've tried to do that, especially with scouting. Obviously, it's a little easier in the baseball side of things because as a scout, I'm looking for baseball players and trying to, uh, you, you know, uh, pick out who, who I like and who I don't. And, and, and as a player, we did a lot of that. We obviously watched the pitchers we're facing, and we, mm-hmm. we, we would talk about, hey, man, this guy's really good or this guy's breaking ball is unbelievable or, you know, whatever. So – so there were a lot of aspects of what I do now that I was doing every single day. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I may not have uh, written a report about it after the game, 
but like I was, I was coming up with these ideas and I was using them on a daily basis. And so, um, as someone who stayed in baseball, it's probably a little easier for me. Whereas somebody that's outside the game, it can definitely be difficult to, you know, oh man, I'm in here with all these other guys who just got out of college playing professional baseball for 10 years. It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow for sure. Yeah. And the, the stages of life, like you have a family, you right? A wife and two kids. Hey, you got two kids, right? Yeah, two and, two and one. another on the way. Same as you, yeah. And, but uh, when you were playing, you had kids while you were playing. You were married while we were playing, which most guys weren't. You know, it's just the way the way society's built. What What was that like as a as being having a family while you're playing baseball? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely tough. You know, we, I definitely uh, was blessed to have a great wife that was come along for the ride and uh, was willing Bonnie to put, put up with you. Put up with all the stuff that. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's always fun to tell people. You know, we lived in like in seven years as a as a as a married couple, and uh, you know, luckily she uh, she's still with me, so she must like me. But uh, <laughs> but it's it's definitely a, uh, a definitely a tough thing. And uh, but you know, we gained so many awesome friends and had so many unique experiences that. Now we're living at home and we, we talk to other friends of ours and, you know, we got to do a lot of awesome things that not many people get to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we did live in all those places. And so we, we have an idea of what it's like in, in different areas of the country. Whereas, you know, a lot of people our age have kind of just lived in one place and they, you know, are, are there forever and that's, that's okay. But it's, uh, you know, it's all about life experiences and we definitely had a, our share of those throughout the, the, along the way. Yeah, without a doubt. So you might not have got the big salary, but you got the experience, you know, no, no, no very doubt. Cool. And the, if you, anybody's listening, you see how Justin looks at the positives as opposed to the negatives. Like that's huge. If you're going to be successful in anything you do, like he, he's looking at it as what, what an experience, what a ride that was, as opposed to, I should have got paid more this and that we fall into these traps in life all the time. I do it. Everybody does it to where we're looking at what's wrong with this situation as opposed to how cool is this situation? How fun is right. this? How lucky am I to have this opportunity? Right. You know, and I, I think, I think triple a baseball is the biggest uh, influence of me on that. I mean, you know, as, as being there some in triple a, mm-hmm that's the most bitter group of baseball players that there are (laughs) because everybody either has been in the big leagues and is mad. They're not, or is on their way to the big leagues and is mad. They're not there yet. Mm -hmm. So, so like you're either, you fall in one of the two categories. And so, um, you know, it's in, I played there for four straight years, never going up or down. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it kind of, you know, you can get, kind of caught up in what everybody else is thinking about this is brutal this is this uh, i gotta get called up what can i do to get out of here or you can like hey you know like i'm playing triple a baseball which is right next to the the highest level of baseball in the world and i'm a two-week hot streak from being in the big leagues like i gotta keep working i gotta i gotta i gotta play well and and 
and that's that's what you got to do and it, it's a tough thing to do because there's a lot of voices there trying to you know be bitter bitter guy and and, they, and and nobody wants to be bitter by themselves they want to bring a couple guys along with them. oh yeah hey let's 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 be bitter on the back of the bus together and talk about this and and so it's easy to fall into that trap and so you know it's uh at the end of the day you know it wasn't the big leagues, but, you know, you got to play in some awesome places and play against some really special talent and players. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's how you look at things. And it's, it's a lot more fun to go through life uh, being looking at the bright side of things than the, than the downside of things. Without a doubt, you know. And so when Justin Henry goes to the field, uh, d- does the, the organization tell you where to go and when to be there and stuff like that? Or do you just kind of search it out for yourself? Um, a lot of it is, is searched out for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, summer is really a time when you go and you're trying to get an idea of who you want to see for the next spring. You know, we go to, we go to high school games, high school uh, showcases. We go to Cape Cod League, college summer leagues. And you try to get an idea of, okay, who are the guys that are going to be draft eligible next year and that I need to go see? And you start compiling a list of players in the particular area you're working. And, um, and then you go see them. You, know? you, 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 you see them in the fall when they're scrimmaging. You try to meet with them in the fall. To, as I said before, you try to get to know them as well as you can. And then once the spring gets here, you're going to scout them and – and trying to, uh, you know, pick out the tools and, and, and pick out the guys that you think are going to be impact big leaguers one day. Um, you know, most of the time I go places I want to go. I run my area uh, the way I want to, to do it. Obviously, mm-hmm. there are certain times, you know, a couple times a year where somebody up top might say, hey, you need to go see this guy on this day. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's, it's normally on that area guy to go and uh, – and find the best guys in that area and to bring his bosses in there to see those guys. For, for parents listening, uh, Justin, when you, do you have relationships with the parents as well as the players? Um, you do some, yes. Whenever, I, especially the high school kids, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to meet those kids and you're meeting their parents and you are, um, you know, you're trying to learn about, you know, how they grew up, how, how they, you know, how they were raised. Um, and um, and really, you try to relate to the parents, especially with the high school kids of, you know, hey, this is a really, you know, going from high school to professional baseball is such a huge jump. And they're mm-hmm. so it's 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 so different than going from college. And the maturity level of that kid has to be so great, in my opinion, um, to be able to make that jump. You know, I think of a guy that we played with that was drafted. uh the same year I was is Rick Porcello. Mm. And I remember, I remember when he came up to um, Oneonta the year we were playing there when he was drafted and everybody was like, this kid's a high school kid. Like, yeah, he, he might as well so, been 28. Right? He was so mature yeah. and so advanced. Mm-hmm. And I always use him as a great example because um, he was ready for professional baseball. And, um, and a lot of times as a scout, we don't get to figure that out. And it's on the parents a lot of times to know, hey, you know your kid the best. Like, is your kid going to go off and live in some bizarre city somewhere not close to home with a lot of times a pocket full of money, a signing bonus that they just got? Like, are they going to be able to handle that? 
And, and you have to rely, I have to rely on the parents a lot of times because as much as I want to say, I, I got this kid figured out, it's, it's hard to have them exactly figured out. And so, well, yeah. you know, you, 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 you rely on those parents to be like, Hey, you know, if, if they're not ready, then go to college because yeah. it's, you know, you can't, you can't take it back. You can't play a year and then say, Oh, you know what? I changed my mind. I want to go to Mississippi state or LSU or whatever. Like you have to know. And so that's probably the, the biggest thing as far as like relationship with the parents is just, you want to have a good idea of, of you want them to have a good idea of what their child is about to get into. It's hard to not see the paycheck too, at times, I think for, for parents and kids, because you do hear the stories of, oh, they got drafted in, in the second round, could have got 500 grand, whatever it was. They go play college ball and then never make it. Right. Then they live with that regret their whole life. What I always go back to is if you, got, if you didn't make it from the college level to the professional level, maybe you had an injury, maybe something happened, right? You would have never made it big anyway. There's no chance. Right. You would have never had a, big, a, a career in the big leagues regardless. If, if you're not, if you can't go through the college system and do that system, there's no way you're going to go through the professional system and succeed because the college system is catered towards way more development, way more helping the player out, way more uh, relationship with your coaches, things like that. Yeah, no, it, it's, it, that's definitely true. You know, it's, um, it's always, you know, it's like any decision in life, you know, it's, you know, if I would have taken this path or this path, yeah, maybe it would have been different. But I always tell the kids, you know, whatever decision you make, that's the right decision. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's the one that you feel led to to, to take, um, and it's kind of like what, we, what this whole conversation has been about. Like, are you going to look at it as I made the right decision? Or are you going to be every day sitting there thinking, man, I can't believe I didn't go play pro ball instead of this college route or man, I should have gone to college. Like you have to be all in on the decision you make. And, and that's, and you really have to be all in on pro ball because if you go the college route, you still have a chance to play pro ball after that. But, but like we said earlier, if you go the pro route, there's no turning back. And so, you know, I try to relate that to these kids that like, like you better be all in on it. And, Mm -hmm. And the ones that are, you know, you see it like some of the greatest players in our game are guys that signed out of high school. Yeah. Um, and there's no doubt about it. But but we also have great players that went to college. Like each either route is okay, but you gotta be sure you're making the right decision for for you as an individual and not basing it off of what somebody else has done or a different route someone else has taken some of the best decisions I've ever, ever made in my life were the worst because I learned, you know, it's like at the time you think, yeah, I'm going to, uh, that's going to be amazing or whatever. You make that decision. It doesn't pan out the way you thought. Well, why didn't it, you know, and, and you can always go back to, as opposed to looking at some of these circumstances as, uh, I just wasn't treated fairly, whatever that decision I made that was maybe not great. I learned from it. Learn from right. moving forward, you know, and and that's that's tough to do because a lot of times we want to make excuses, we want to uh, put it on, pin it on somebody else. Oh, you know, Justin told me I was ready for the show, and I'm not, you know, or whatever. Right, right. And that's that's where you got to look back and say, you know, maybe the guy who does go to the pro ball route, it doesn't pan out. Uh, 
well, what did you learn from that? You know, what, what can you use moving forward if anybody's listening that's been in that position, which I'm sure there is. The maturity level it takes to play professional baseball, like you said, is extraordinary. You have to be you have to be a master of yourself to be able to play professional baseball because there's a point where nobody's going to do it for you. People aren't patting yeah. your back. The hitting coach isn't making – you don't have a schedule where the hitting coach makes you take early hitting. Right, you it's on to, you. It's yeah. on you. It's 100% on you, and that responsibility – I try to get through to kids a lot and convey the message of take responsibility for your actions, take responsibility for yourself. Cause there's a point where your parents aren't going to do it for you. There's a point where your mentors aren't going to do it for you. It's on you. It's becoming a man when you're 18. Right. And it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. And it's a tough thing to, you know, it's a tough thing to, um, as I said before, and it was, we've talked to simulate for people like, you think you have an idea of what it's like and you really don't know until you're in it. And, and you've got to have, uh, you've got to be so accountable mm -hmm. for, for your actions and how you're going to go about your business. Cause it's a job, mm -hmm. you know, it is a job. Like the Detroit Tigers, when we select you, we expect you to be everywhere you're supposed to be on time and ready to go. Yep. We expect you to put in the work. And we expect you to work to be in the big leagues. That is why we drafted you. We didn't draft you to be an A-ball player and to have a decent time and be able to say one day, hey, I got to play some pro ball. You know, like we are drafting you because we want you to work to build your way up to the Detroit Tigers to help us win a World Series. That's what we want. Yeah. And, and if you don't want that, then we don't want you. <laughs> mm -hmm. but but it's you know but it, nobody's going to tell you they don't want that they hear oh i'm getting drafted and, and and i'm excited and i'm pumped and i understand that but the ones that make it and are successful are the ones we want the same things we want you to your life to be about making it to the big leagues and putting your best effort forward and if you do that maybe you have a chance to be there if you're talented enough and and that's that's ultimately what it what it's going to come down to, and uh, and, and you have to have uh, some serious um, um, maturity to be able to. Yeah, fortitude. What's it look like? I think the Detroit Tigers should should put that above every single minor league locker. Like uh, we drafted you to be in the big league. Right. You know, how cool would that be? That would give you it's kind of like the mystery statement. Why did you get drafted? To be in the big leagues, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, no, so, so many people think they made it when they got drafted. And it's like, no, yeah. no, this is only the beginning. Yeah. They want you to be in the big leagues. That's why they drafted you. Right. And they'll cater. And there are the minor leagues will cater to help a player get there, but it is on them to a point. No doubt. I mean, you know, they, we have so I'm, many guys. There's just no way you can, you can hold somebody's hand to the big leagues and and when they get there you can't hold their hand because you have to develop kind of that fortitude that that i'm gonna i can do it you know what i mean attitude when you get yeah. to the big leagues or when you're playing in triple a AAA or double a there's people who are gonna hate on you <laughs> you have to learn how to deal with some of that too you know right like no doubt go for four and you get booed by fifty thousand. if somebody's hold your hand the whole way and you go to call them after the game Oh, it's going to be okay, buddy. Like that, that's just not going to work. So no, that's it's like, not. pro ball is different for sure. When you go to, so you go to a high school field and you're looking for, are you usually looking for a specific player when you go? 
Uh, normally so, yes. I normally don't go places to just like, you know, go digging in the hay for a diamond yeah, in the rough yeah, or something. Yeah. You know, like, waste waste like norm- your time. You yeah, normally I'm going somewhere I know of a person I need to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then once I'm there now, I'm watching everybody. You know, I, I'm looking for, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, every year guys get drafted because they had a good player on their team and that with got scouts there and they benefited from that. Like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. What? Like, like. Yeah. So you show up to the field. Is there a protocol you go by? Like, okay, I'm going to show up early. Is there a time you get to the field or are there things you're looking for in warmups? Or is it just kind of the game is the game? No, you, I, I, you know, if, if you're going to see a hitter, you always try to be there from the moment they start doing anything on the field. You know, you want to be there to see them, uh, you know, go through warm-ups and take BP, see how they go about their business, see if they take it seriously, if they have an approach, if they have an idea of what they're doing. Um, you want to see them take infield, outfield, um, see how they throw the ball, how they move around. And then, obviously, you watch them play the game. Um, you know, pitchers – you want to be there to see their, their bullpen when they're getting loose before the game. Um, and, uh, and then obviously see them pitch after, you know, pitch during the game. So, uh, you know, you, you try to get there as early as you can to, to see all aspects of it. Um, it doesn't always work out right that just travel purposes and things, yeah. but um, you're trying to see everything that you can see about this person and learn everything you can about them. Yeah. The pregame routine is important. I think if you don't have a routine, you should develop one, try to figure one no out. Doubt. We'll help you with that. Uh, as far as when talent is on the field, one game, you know, you're watching one baseball game. The best talent on the field can have a bad game. No doubt. If, if you're watching a guy and he's, he's just having an awful game, is that going to be an indicator that, yep, he's out of the picture? Uh, no. Sometimes it's good to see a bad game. You see how they react to it. Um, you know, you can, you can see, hey, Hold on, you cut out. Like, is he still going out there and making some plays defensively, or is he? Uh, you know, how's he? How's he? What kind of teammate is he with the other guys on the team? And um, you know, is he sitting in the dugout at the end of the dugout sulking as you know because he struck out two times, or is he still engaged in the game? And and uh, you know, so that's you know, obviously, you go see a player, you want to see him do well, you want to see his tools. That's kind of why you go to the pregame stuff as well, so you can definitely see him take swings in the, you know, on the field and see the power and things like that. But um, just because you have a bad game doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, we're not drafting this guy. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's things you can take from everything you see. Without a doubt. Everybody that's uh, listening, this is Justin Henry. Uh, Justin's a scout for the Detroit Tigers now. We could talk all day. I know you got family. I know you got things to do. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, man, and I hope to have you on the show in the future. Uh, always great to pick somebody's brain who's on different aspects of baseball, especially, you know, parents looking, well, my kid might be good enough, might not be. Things to think about at least, right? Absolutely. No, I appreciate you uh, having me on, and, um, you know, I really, really enjoy talking to you. And, and to all those listening, I know everybody knows, uh, I'm sure if you're listening, you know about Andy Dirks and all, but um, – you know, one thing as a scout that you look for is you look for the tools. You look for, you know, um, how far guys can hit it and how, how often they can hit it. But, but then there's also the, the tool you're looking for that it, that's always sometimes hard to, to find if you don't watch them every day. And that's 
that's this guy's a game. He was a guy who, uh, you know, didn't hit it as far as everybody, but 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 could hit and didn't, you know, run as fast as everybody in the outfield, but but he made the play. And that's, uh, you know, he jerks out there. Hopefully I can find one. The sixth tool. That's that was right. my best the tool. tool. They just didn't have it on paper. <laughs> <laughs> if they right. could have rated me as my, my sixth tool, would have been extraordinary, I think. <laughs> they just don't have a quantifiable major for that yet. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. There we'll we'll work the next, on that. We'll, we'll probably have Justin on, and we'll talk about a little <laughs> analytics and some different things that, from a scout's perspective that I think would be cool. But for now, we're going to wrap up the show. Justin, thank you so much for being on, man. Always a pleasure. Best of luck to you in the future, and we'll, we'll, we'll get a hold of you and have you on another show. Thanks a lot, Andy. Really enjoyed speaking right, to bye. you.